Welcome to the HR Stories Podcast, listener question edition, where there is a lesson in every story. Each week, the team at HR Stories Podcast shares questions from our podcast audience and provides tangible, practical advice that everyone can use to get HR right. Our hosts today are management and HR consultants, Chuck Simikian and John Tallheimer. What is on your mind today? Hi everyone, it's John from the team at HR Stories. I'm excited to be here today. Uh, unfortunately, Chuck can't be here today. He's actually traveling and uh, was not able to make this recording session. Um, but I'm gonna go in here because we, we have so many questions coming in from the team at HR One community and uh, people are emailing us, people are texting us with their questions. And so I really wanted to kind of get them out, make sure that we're answering them for you. Um, so I got three great questions today. Let's just dive right into it and start talking about them today. All right, so the first one is from Halbia, and she says this, how many times, how often do you fire employees in your organization? And what's your take on who should talk during the termination? The manager, the owner, HR, who should be the one doing the top conversation? We are a small company going through a lot of transition and it's getting more and more difficult to have these conversations. And I think it's a really good question, right? And so I think one of the things I'm empathetic with is that a lot of the times we're dealing with these terminations, right? And there's this emotional component to terminations. I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been in HR. I don't care how long you've been a manager. There's still something that's hard about letting people go. In fact, I was doing a um, workshop. I was doing a workshop for HR for nonprofits at a local organization here in Nashville. And this subject came up and pretty much everyone was saying, look, I don't like doing them. I don't wanna do terminations. Uh, there was a couple people that said, it's not that I don't like doing them because I do think they're the right thing to do for the organization but they do have that emotional component, right? And we have to deal with it. And so, yeah, we want to eliminate, we want to kind of reduce the amount of ones we're doing. And that has a lot to do with performance and expectations. But in terms of who does it, now this is where I'll probably get some feedback on it because I believe strongly that it should be the manager. And here's why, here's my theory, here's my thought on it is that the manager is the one that knows the employee's performance, right? And so if it's performance related, it should definitely be the manager uh, with the HR person working, acting as the witness. They're being there. And so the manager should really be the one that, hey, the, the, we're gonna terminate your employment, blah, 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 and then hand it over to HR to talk about next steps, uh, personal belongings, COBRA, and all that information, right? And so I really think it's that way. Now, sometimes there, are, we've done an investigation and we did the investigation and we found out, the HRS team has found out this person has violated our ethical or harassment policies. And so now in those cases, HR should do, right? And so again, going back in there. And so I think really know that you're not alone, right? Know that you're not alone. Ter termination is not a thing that we like to do. Um, but it is something that we have to deal with. Okay, second question. Uh, this is from BJ from Seattle, Washington. And she said this, we have an employee who has yet to cash a payroll check. How long should you usually give them to cash a check? So now we have an employee that's been working for us. 
Um, and so typically we'll put on the check, you need to cash it in 180 days, otherwise it expires, but I want you to be careful, right? And so the second part of her question was this, if a check was lost and you reissue the check and they have not come to pick up that reissue check two months later, how do we deal with that? So the question really is, I have a paycheck, I sent it to the right address, I sent it out, it got returned, or I had it in my file and no one came to it, right? So how do we deal with that? How do we do that? And so that is really, it ends up being what we call unclaimed property, right? And so as much as we want to be like, all right, well, they didn't come pick it up. It's six months later. We're just going to cash it out and we're going to keep the money for the company. We can't do that. They are owed that money. So every state and the District of Columbia has a law requiring companies report unclaimed property. Compliance is mandatory and each state is authorized to enforce their laws. Now, it gets complicated, right? It gets complicated. Every state is a little bit. And so what I would recommend is go to your search engine and put in unclaimed property for the state, wherever that employee is working, put that in. So I did a little research. I wanted to kind of see where what, what we would do in Washington state. So the following are reporting and record keeping requirements for Washington's unclaimed paychecks. Number one, record keeping requirements. So we need to make sure we know this, right? Tracking time, clicking on time, doing all those things. We have to do that, right? We need to make sure that we're doing that, right? So there is that record keeping. Employers must retain a record of the names and last known addresses of payees for six years after reporting to the state. And so one of the things, right, we're gonna reach out to the state in Washington in this case, we're gonna reach out to the Washington state and say, hey, we have this unclaimed property. Um, they have not picked it up. And so now we need to keep that record of this is the address we sent it to, this is the information, all of that for at least six years. Now, uh, Washington employers must report and remit unclaimed wages annually. Typically, the report for unclaimed wages must be sent before November 1st of each year for wages and unclaimed as of June 30th of that year. With regard to record keeping, Washington employers should speak with their legal and counsel to determine processes and procedures, read how many attempts the employer should make to contact that employee, right? And so the first thing we want to do is just, right? And so our process is we mail it and we go back a month later, we're doing our audit, we notice, hey, that, that check has never been done. If they're no longer an employee, reach out to them at the last known address, at the last phone number, and say, hey, we have this paycheck for you. Where do you want us to send it? And do that and record that conversation or document that you attempted to have that conversation, I think is really important. So again, we need to document, we need to document the process we do that. And so that's really for everybody document. So make attempts, right? Don't go up. Oh, well, whatever. They know it's here when they want to get it. No, no. Um, remind them, send it out, send them emails, text, phone, whatever. Just make sure that you have a record. On this date, I sent them an email. On this date, we sent them a notice through the mail. On this date, we sent them an email, right? And so that way you have that record to do it. But the big thing here is really paychecks or unclaimed property. You need to reach out to your state and see how to handle that on there. And so for question three, um, I was doing a payroll law class, right? And so I was instructing on the payroll law class. And we talk a lot about different things. We talked about independent contractors and employees. We talked about the W-4 and dealing with W-2s and making sure you get them out on time, right? It's that time of year. They like, should all be done by now. 
we talked about uh, non-exempt employees, we talked about hours worked, and then we also talked about exempt employees and what makes an individual exempt. And there was some confusion when we got to the different um, roles that can be exempt. And so I thought it would be a good thing, just kind of a refresher here to think about what are the roles that are exempt, right? What are the categories that are exempt and how do they play out, right? And so there are, there are many different ones, but there are six main ones, right? And so the first one is the executive exemption. And those employees, right, they have to be above this standard salary level, right, which may change in April. So pay attention. That's my that's my warning right there. Pay attention, pay attention in April. The Department of Labor says they're going to come out with their final ruling in April. They, they may delay it. But again, we need to be paying attention to that. So they need to make that. They need to direct one of the departments or a store manager or a department manager or a plant manager, right? They need that level of authority to be an executive exemption. They also need to have people reporting to them, at least two full-time equivalent employees reporting up to them and have the ability to hire and fire somebody, right? And so, or their weight, right? Their, their decision-making is weighted heavily. And so that's the executive exemption, right? And so there's also the learned professional exemption where people have a course of study to be in their role a lawyer, a CPA, a quality insurance person, right? Those high level individuals are gonna be exempt from there. There's also creative professionals where their endeavor, what they're doing is a recognized field of talent, imagination, creativity um, in, in their work, right? And so kind of looking at that. So when I worked, I worked at a company and we had videographers, we had fashion stylists, we had copywriters, all of them were exempt under the creative profession. And then we have outside sales. And so one of the things that I think is interesting about outside sales is that uh, it's, it was written in 1938, right? And so when we think about outside sales back in 1938, outside sales would be given a territory, right? And so that territory could be uh, Washington, Idaho, and Oregon, right? And so they would go to that territory and they would go to the small towns and they would either go to businesses or consumers and they would try to get contracts for those individuals, right? And so that is the outside sales. And so when we fast forward to 2024, if somebody is sitting in your office and they're on Zoom calls and on email and doing that, that's not outside sales. Remember, they need to be a majority of the time away from the office. Now, the cool thing about outside sales is there's no standard salary level for them, right? It can be uh, commission base on there. And so the one that we had the most discussion around in our classes was the administrative one. Uh, so there's an administrative exemption, right? And so, but the problem is in 2024, we hear the term administrative assistant, and we think, oh, that must mean that they're exempt. Most administrative assistants are not going to be exempt. They are going to be non-exempt, meaning they're going to get paid overtime. And so when we look at the administrative one, always think in terms of administrator, right? They are the administrator. They make independent decisions. Their, their, their input is weighted heavily in how the company is run. 
Um, and so really be paying attention. So I always tell people like, when you hear administrative exemption, think of administrators, right? These are high level individuals in your organization, making decisions, changing policy, doing contract negotiations, that type of stuff. And so yeah, that's a quick overview. Um, I could go on and on with it, but I just think it's such an important topic for everyone to kind of be paying attention to and making sure that we're looking at that, right? And so again, paying attention how do we do that as well? So those are just a couple of the questions that have come in to, uh, this week. Um, can't wait to see you guys next week at the HR Stories podcast. Again, if you have any questions, send them to us. You can send them to us at email at team at hrstories.com uh, or reach out to us on LinkedIn. Join our HR, HR team one of community. Um, just make sure you're reaching out to us because that's where we're having the conversations and we're helping you get better. We'll answer you like, hey, I need this answer right now. We'll answer to you right now through an email, but then we may bring it in and do it on the thing as well. So thank you. You've been listening to the HR Stories Podcast, where there is a lesson in every story. Thank you for listening to the HR Stories Podcast. The material presented in this podcast is for informational purposes only. Chuck and John always recommend using an employment lawyer or HR consultant to handle any legal concerns or HR issues. We do our best to double check sources and make sure the information we are providing is accurate. We may eliminate or embellish without changing the basic narrative to make the story easier to understand. In certain circumstances, we may change identifying information to protect the innocent. The HR Stories broadcast is brought to you by the team at HR Stories. The team at HR Stories is designed to help anyone with HR responsibilities be better at managing the employee experience. To engage with us, go to thehrstoriesteam.com and learn more about how the team at HR Stories can support your business or nonprofit. Thank you for listening to the HR Stories podcast, where there is a lesson in every story. <laughs>